Well, this is the uh, last um, in a series on discipleship, uh, both being a disciple and making disciples. And if you've been here, you've seen we started with the call of discipleship. What's it mean to be called? You know, what's it mean to follow? And then we looked at the, the cost of discipleship, and Jesus had those incredibly strong words that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then, and then we looked at the community of discipleship. You know, what's the soil, if you will, in which discipleship grows? And then last week we talked about some considerations of not just being a disciple, but also uh, becoming disciplers ourselves. And <clears throat> today we're going to finish with the consummation of discipleship. In other words, what's the end goal? What's the terminal point? And we're going to see, as Kimmy read, that it's to present everyone mature in Christ. I mean, what a sublime task to prepare people to see God. That's what discipleship is ultimately all pointed at, to help one another be ready and be happy that I'm going to see God. There's no fear. There's a joy, a satisfaction, an excitement. That's, that's ultimately what discipleship is about. So in our text today, th- there's really three small points that I want to draw on. One is, what is a disciple? We're just going to do a quick review on that. What's it look like? How did Paul, as he gives kind of his own personal take on what discipleship is? And then secondly, some of the challenges that you and I will face as we try to walk in obedience to making disciples. And, and then thirdly, we'll look at the consummation, that is, Preparing people to see God. That, that's ultimately the goal. So let's look at Paul's words here. He's, he begins, and I'm going to kind of focus my time on 28 and 29. I want you to hear the context, but in 28, 29, you hear that, that him we proclaim, he says. So Paul's going to describe for us what discipleship is. He's going to reveal to us how he actually disciples. Him we proclaim teaching and admonishing. Now, last week I spent more time on this idea of teaching. Teaching is appealing to the intellect. So part of making disciples in Paul's mind is a teaching, instruction, you know, bringing forth propositional truth about Jesus, him we proclaim. So the teaching, the object of teaching is him, Jesus. Now, as Charles read in verses 15 to 20, think about him for a minute, just the nature just the nature of Christ, that he's the image of the invisible God, that he is the image, that that in Jesus we see God. We see the exact representation of God, Uh, that that he is the one through whom all things were created, all things in heaven and on earth, thrones, dominions, powers, all the powers that we see on the landscape of this world, he is over them all. He not only has created all things, but he sustains all things. Right now, the worlds are being kept by him. I mean, the nature, him we proclaim, the nature of Christ is phenomenal. That that he's the firstborn of all creation. That he's the firstborn from among the dead. So he he not only has brought forth life through death, but he's preeminent over all creation. So when we talk about what do we teach in discipleship, we teach about Christ. We speak about Jesus, the Christ, the one who has come to do and to be all things. But him we proclaim also talks about his work. If you were to read back in Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son that he loves. This is what Jesus has done. He, he's been the perfectly pleasing son that has fulfilled the entire law of God so that now God can be pleased with people that aren't pleasing. That's us. He has done it all for us. He's come to deliver us. So him we proclaim, we proclaim Jesus and the work that he's done. Not just his glorious nature, but his redemptive work in saving us. I mean, people, if we're not overwhelmed, sometimes, you know, you've been in the faith a while, and you feel more savable. You know, like, like your life has improved, and, and by God's grace, you know, you, you have turned a lot of corners, and you have walked away from sin, and praise God for that. Let me tell you, we, we begin to think, well, I'm less needing of his saving power than these other people are. That's a, that's a dark hole to fall into. No, his work is great. But him we proclaim also this mystery that, that can be read about, this mystery of Jew and Gentile, that in Jesus, he's reconciled all things. So when we proclaim Jesus in a discipleship relationship, we're teaching about Jesus, we don't want to forget that he is the reconciler of all things, Jew and Gentile. I mean, it is a mystery that's been revealed that we are now included in God's plan. I mean, if you will, go back with me to Genesis chapter 3. Th that's where all things fell apart, right? Man and woman created perfectly to live and enjoy God, wanted to go their own way, rebel, move away from God. And what happens? Well, of course, separation from God, separation from each other. You know how the man and the woman turn on each other. Separation from creation, it's now cursed. Separation really from ourselves, you know, that internal struggle we have. The empirical evidence of the fall is everywhere. Everything we touch rusts. It all rusts. There's nothing that we touch that is somehow bettered in our own power. And yet Jesus has come to reconcile us to the Father, reconcile us to each other. Nick preached about this back in Ephesians 2, 11 forward, about how, how the, Jew, the dividing wall now between Jew and Gentile has been demolished. Jesus has demolished it. He has taken it upon and crushed sin by bearing a curse. So when him we proclaim, we're talking about this great fruit. You are the fruit of his labors, saving you. But, but him we proclaim also deals with his promises, Boy, to talk and to disciple someone about the promises of God into, to us in Christ. I mean, I think about, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So he promises to dwell with us. And yet he promises to return to rescue us. How we long for that day. How we ought to long for that day when everything will be made right. Is it not a time to just wish, God, I want everything to be made right? That's his promise. So when, when Paul says, him we proclaim teaching and admonishing one another, that's what we talk about in a discipling relationship. To be a discipler of other people is to just lead them to Jesus. Just help them to know Christ better. That's all it is. Discipleship is, let's not fancy it up. It's helping others know Jesus better. But it's not just helping Jesus know or helping others. Jesus doesn't need to know anything. He knows it all. But helping others know Jesus better. Uh, but also to help others obey Jesus. Notice that word teaching and admonishing. Last week we saw admonishing was both, it had an encouraging aspect to it and a corrective 
aspect to it. The encouragement is that in a discipleship relationship, as Paul sees it, that we are to be an encouragement to one another, to fight for faith, to persevere in trial, uh, to make efforts towards holiness. We need the encouragement. I mean, who doesn't need in a, in a game on a field their parents and their friends cheering for them? We need the encouragement to continue on in this world that's opposed to God. But not just the encouragement, also the correction. We do need correction. We do need the amending of our life. We do need people coming alongside and saying, this, the steps that you're taking, if you keep taking them, it will not end in a good spot for you. So there is a corrective element. We have to help people obey him more. You know how our hearts are. They're prone to wander. And we need brothers and sisters helping correct us so that we, we walk on the way that, though be narrow, it leads to life. So when you talk about the nature of, like how does Paul define discipleship? Helping others know Jesus better. Helping others follow Jesus more closely and more joyfully. They go together, knowledge and obedience. Right? So John Calvin, the great reformer of the 16th century, he said this, he says, uh, all knowledge is born out of obedience. So we can't say, I know it if I don't do it. Now, th- I, I recognize that you know in this life of sanctification, there's give and take on things, and we're trying to grow, but, but to say, I know it, but don't try to do it, don't seek to do it, don't repent when I don't do it, it's really you don't know. Francis Schaeffer said the same thing. He was a theologian in the 20th century. Perhaps you've heard of his name. He, he started the Labrie Institute in Switzerland and, and uh, was a great apologist for his time. But he said this. He said, most of the Reformation, that is that, that big move within Christendom in the 15th and 16th centuries away from Roman Catholicism, reestablishing the principles of the scriptures and, and um, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. He said this, most of the Reformation then let the pendulum, pendulum swing and thought that if only right doctrines were taught, then all would be automatically well. He said to a large extent, the Reformation concentrated almost exclusively on the teaching ministry of the church. In other words, almost all the emphasis was placed on teaching right doctrine. In this, I feel, the fatal error had already been made. It is not for a moment that we can begin to get anywhere until right doctrines are taught, but the right doctrines mentally assented to are not an end in themselves, but should only be the vestibule to a personal and loving communion with God. In other words, knowing the right things is essential. Doing the right things is extraordinarily important. This is what discipleship is. It's helping people know Jesus and helping people follow Jesus. So that's really for us. So let me just park it here for one minute and try to apply this one point, and and that is this, that this idea that we need discipleship, every one of us here. This isn't the call to be disciples isn't resting in a spiritual SWAT team or professionals that have been trained to do this sort of work, but it's really among all of us. We're all called because we all need both to be disciples and to be disciplers. We all need this. I mean, I I don't think, I hope, I hope that no one here feels that they can move from glory to glory or towards maturity on their own. Uh, He's designed it. We saw in 
uh, chapter 316 of Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Th this is a one another thing. This is you serving the other. In other words, the Christian knows in his mind that his flesh is weak, that sin is deceitful, and that his soul is prone to wander. I need people in my life. I mean, the Christian understands that he or she has a responsibility to both offer correction, but also be inviting correction. Do you have someone in your life that you have invited to speak into your life in ways that would draw you to live for Christ in closer measure? Are you helping anybody right now follow Jesus? Is anybody helping you right now follow Jesus? I mean, th this is something you have to initiate. Th this is something that will not just happen. It, it, the, the plankton going in the ocean doesn't work with discipleship. We have to be intentional in terms of seeking that out. You know, when members join this church, they sign a covenant. You probably remember the covenant. You may not remember what the covenant said, so I'm going to be gracious and read it to you. So here's what one line of the covenant is. We will love God's glory by exercising Christian care and watchfulness over others. So who are you doing that for? Who's doing that for you? So, so I want to encourage you, this is essential for us, if we want to be presented well on that last day. Okay, let me say one more part. Let me say one more thing, too. Discipleship isn't just this kind of helping others follow Jesus. isn't just necessary for us. It it's also requires modeling. Okay, so how does Paul disciple? He disciples by modeling. Now listen, it's intuitive to us, the value of an internship. It's intuitive to us, the value of having a coach or a trainer who's going to kind of help us hone our craft. Well, it's the same thing with discipleship in the church. We have to do it via modeling, not just teaching, but helping others live. So when I graduated in, uh, from the University of Maryland with an accounting degree, uh, it was a lot of theory. I remember struggling at reconciling my account, and I thought, we may have a gap in the educational philosophy at the University of Maryland. Because, you know, it, it's all theory in accounting. It wasn't until I became an intern under an accountant that I began to understand, oh, the theory now, and I see it applied in practice. You know, you do a bank reconciliation or a general ledger or financial statements in a textbook. It's all clean. It all works out. Then you get to the messiness of life, and sometimes that gap between theory and practice is profound. But when I was an intern, it began to make sense. Now, this isn't new to you. You know this. Jesus said himself in John 13, I've set before you an example so that you will do it for your brothers. And then he washes their feet. So part of discipling is us allowing people to imitate us, to learn from us. Now, this is what Paul says. Paul's imitating Jesus. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, I urge you to imitate me. That's what Paul says. He says in chapter 11, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or he says in Philippians 3.17, listen to this. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So he's saying, imitate me and imitate those who are imitating me. Now, I know right now you're thinking, could you ever say, imitate me? Could you ever say to a new Christian, I want you to follow my example. I, I want you to do what I do. 
we're supposed to be able to say that. It's not perfection. Modeling and calling people to imitate is not perfection. It's simply perseverance and honesty. We have to also show them how to, re how to recover when we do fall into sin. In other words, what I'm saying is that part of your discipleship in this church is to draw people close enough that they can see. Instead of saying, hey, we've got to pray, show them how to pray. Instead of speaking to them about being faithful in times of trial, open up your life so in your trial you can be faithful and they can see you. Haven't you been encouraged by the saints in this church who have gone through difficulties in faith and you see them firm in faith? That's a model for us. You know, not just that, but parenting or my marriage. I, I would love to see from this church, and there are already a number doing this, and I'm thankful for them, but, but couples in this church that could mentor younger couples in marriage, I, I would love, besides those who are already doing it, I would love four more, five more, to come forward and say, I'd like to do that. I would like to open up our lives and disciple people through telling them, hey, this is, this is the word, this is our marriage. It would be a beautiful thing to do to help those. You, know, you get married, you just have to apply for a little license down at the, at the city. You get into this incredible relationship, the probably most profound relationship outside of yours with Christ, and guess what? <laughs> Good luck. You know, I mean, it's, it's tough swinging. Now, you, some of us have had parents that may have modeled well for us, and please, if you have, praise God for that. A lot have not. I always ask the couples that. How would you view the models that you've had before you? Some have been good. Some have been perhaps areas of growth for them. So we want to model this. You know, one, one blogger said this about modeling. He says, apprenticeship is serious business. Never downplay the importance of sermons, theological education, and deep Bible study. Just make sure you match all these things with doing life together, modeling a new way of being human. That's what it is to come into Christianity is we have a new humanity. He says, inviting people to come alongside of us and learn what it means to follow Jesus, not merely by what we tell them, but how we live. But they've got to be close enough. So modeling, one other thing too is if you embrace this call of discipleship like Paul's giving, him we proclaim, it will define for you a new, a new metric of success. In other words, many people look at a successful church based upon budget, size, attendance, programs, the popularity, or perhaps even uh, baptism. But, but let me tell you, this is a different metric of success. To have a church that is intimately concerned with the spiritual development of other people in their church, and that they are sacrificing and serving and toiling and laboring for their brothers and sisters in their community of faith to be ready to see God. And that's a different measure of success. It's not so easily chartable. You can't trace it out over the years like you can with finances, but, but you'll be able to feel it here as we as a church grow in this culture it will be attractive and then it will be explosive for others to want that same thing. Okay, so that's the first point. It's simply this, discipleship is helping others follow Jesus, both to know him and to obey him. Okay, secondly, now I think you would agree with me. I, I would ask anybody if they don't agree with me at this point of the sermon, that, that would be a good model of discipleship. If you don't agree with that, I'd love to know. But the question then is, if we all agree, then why aren't we doing it? 
Why aren't we doing it with one another? Well, I, I think Paul tells us why. The toil and the struggle. It, it is hard. He says this, for this I toil. So for what? What is this? Well, this is helping others follow Jesus. So for this I toil. That word for toil, by the way, means a work done that leads you to sheer exhaustion. So I mean, imagine just pulling a set of oars against a raging sea, against the current, and you're doing this for hours. Your arms are on fire. You're at the point of exhaustion. That's what Paul's saying. I'm at the point of weary exhaustion so that others might know him better and obey him better. He says struggle. That word for struggle is a word that kind of relates to when Jesus was in the garden. It's the same Greek word, you know. He's in agony before God over walking in obedience. So you really get the impression Paul is really pouring out his soul so that others might know him better that others might know and, and obey Jesus in greater measure. Now, Paul is not a stranger to struggle. You, you know in 2 Corinthians where he begins to say that I've been shipwrecked and I've floated in the ocean for days and I've been stoned and I've been lashed three times. And, I mean, you want to feel better about the physicality of your life, go to 2 Corinthians 11, 24 forward, and you'll find this man suffered physically to help others know Christ better. But not just that. He wasn't just this bull in a china shop. He suffered and was weary over his concern for the churches. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, besides everything else, in other words, all those physical hardships, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul was a man who had a tender heart to the church's development in Christ. He says also in Galatians 4, again, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. What's he want? He's like a spiritual father to a people saying, I'm, I'm in the pains of childbirth. You know, just the immense pain until Christ be formed. This church at Galatia had gone off rail from the gospel, and he wanted them to walk in light of the gospel again. Or he says in 1 Thessalonians 2, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. So here you have... Paul expressing this weary, burdened, struggling concern for people that they would know Christ better. This is why a lot of us don't want to disciple. It's hard. If I were to ask you, just in your minds right now, if you're not discipling anybody, why don't you want to? Or what fear or what challenge, what, what hinders you? I thought of a few answers. I'd like to give them to you and see if these are the ones you have. Well, one is it is hard, right? It, it is challenging. I mean, it does impact your time. It impacts your personal time, your schedules. I mean, it, it, is, it is a hard thing to do, right? I, I mean, can we expect to move people toward the fullness of Christ in this world, which is opposing Christ? Can we expect that to be easy? I mean, would you expect it to be so? It, it, it's hard. It, it, but we're forgetting about the joy of it all. So let me try to draw an analogy here. So there's this, there's a wilderness area in Wyoming called the uh, Bridger Wilderness Area. It's a beautiful wilderness area, and, and that's what it is, right? It's a wilderness area. And so like most of these national parks, you know, they have these stations that you walk into, you get your map and all that, and they have a suggestion box or recommendations. And so you can fill things out and put it in the box. Well, this, this one local uh, ranger station 
collected these recommendations, and some of the recommendations were this. We'd like the trail wider so we can walk hand in hand. Well, I mean, I, I, that'd be sweet, wouldn't it? We would like the trails paved so when it snows, it can be plowed. Okay, now, it is a wilderness area. We would like the rocks removed. Now, it is a mountain. <laughs> we would like more lights because a deer stole my jar of pickles and I'd like to know if I can be reimbursed. These are actual recommendations. They get worse. The insects were troubling. Could you spray the place? Coyotes howled at night. We couldn't sleep. Now, if you could line all these valedictorians up here and say you're in a wilderness area, you want the vistas. Oh, another one was escalators up the steep parts. That was a good one. <laughs> and a chairlift, if I remember right. And you'd want to say, well, what do you expect? So, so in a way, with discipleship, of course it's going to be hard. We're laboring for Christ to be formed in people in the context of a world that's still broiled in sin and in rebellion from God. But, but the task is great, but, but remember, it's, it's that day that we're looking forward to. So some of you may not be discipling because it's hard. Others, you may say, well, I think it's messy. And to get into someone's life and their stuff is hard. And that is true. Many of our lives are very complicated. But let me remind you, discipleship isn't having all the answers. You're not a problem solver. You're not supposed to untie every, every knot in their life. You're simply walking with them. You're praying with them. You're weeping with them. You're rejoicing over the victories they may have. So even though it's messy, you're not the Messiah. One has already come. You're simply pointing to him. You're like John the Baptist. I, I want to decrease. I want him to increase in your life. So, so some for you, you may say it's too hard or it's too messy. Some of you may say, I just don't have time. Well, let's dispense with that quickly because we all at the same time, let's ask what priorities do we have? What is taking the time from this noble task? Now, I am sympathetic to those <coughs> young parents with a, a lot of young children. Clearly, there's a lot to be done. Um, there really is, and I'm sympathetic to that. Um, but I, I would still argue for seeking to find what other areas am I spending my time in that don't have the redemptive value and the joy to them that helping others know Jesus better would. Some of us say, well, it's not my season. I've used that one. That's a great one. Um, and and I, I remember as a young parent, actually, thinking if I could just get out of diapers, I mean, diapers and wipers and feeding and bathing and blah, you know, if I could just get them somewhat on their own, bathing and, and feeding themselves, then I'll be in tall cotton, you know. But then that happens, and they're talking, they're fighting, they're getting, and then well, they, if they get a little bit older now, and they get a little more manageable, and then they start playing sports, and they develop relationships with other people, and they start going in different directions. And before you know it, so Carol and I have parented for 28 years, at least in the home, with the kids in the home, and I would have gone from, it's not my season, it's not my season, it's not my season, if we just didn't say enough is enough. You know, I, I've, I've heard many people say it's not my season. I've never heard anybody say my season's over, I'm ready. So, so just be, be mindful of that. 
that, that that doesn't become, the season doesn't become a year and the year doesn't become a decade and so forth. And another thing we often say about why don't we disciple is uh, I don't know enough. I don't want to lead people in the bad theology. I'm not gifted for it. Well, let me remind you, it's not the role of teacher here. A and if there is questions about theology, look around you. There's plenty of people that can probably help give answers that you don't have. N in other words, it's, it's not necessarily a mentor mentoree relationship. It's, again, living side by side, opening our lives up with one another. Some of you have the excuse of, I'm just introverted. I'm not very comfortable with people, and I, I would rather be alone. Well, duh, we all would. I mean, I, I want to be alone sometimes. I do. But it's in the community that our sins are being exposed. I thought it was a great guy when I lived alone. I really did. I was easy to get along with. I was fun. I, 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 people enjoyed me. Then I got married and I realized, I don't think I'm really that nice a guy anymore. You know, living with Carol and things are coming up in me and I'm thinking, and then I get kids and then, then I'm a monster because I'm thinking, I want to kill people and I don't want to be a parent. It's true. It's absolutely true. But, but it's in the context of other people that all of a sudden it begins to come up in me. Now, I can blind myself and say it's all their fault, but the reality of it is what is birthed in me by others reveals to me I need people in my life helping me follow Jesus. I just, I need that. I need the correction. I need the teaching. I need the admonishment. And I think the last e example of why we don't that came to my mind was um, I don't have it together. Uh, I can be a jerk, and I don't think I should be doing this with people. And um, again, discipling is not birthed out of perfection, but perseverance and honesty about who we are. You know, Charles Simeon was a, a great preacher, uh, he pastored the Holy Trinity Church at Cambridge, England, from the mid-1700s to the mid-1800s. Um, he was a, a great man of God. But here's how his biographer described him. He described him as proud, imperious, fiery-templed, solitary, uh, solitary individual, eager for friendship, whom others avoided because of his conceits, eccentricities, and barbed words. Another Biograph, uh, biographer said, spirited and from a privileged family. He was not popular. He was not handsome. He had a bad temper. He tried too hard to gain friends. People tended to avoid him. He lacked any notable intellectual talent. That is tough reading right there. If anybody wants to write a biography on me, don't. <laughs> this man... Over 54 years, trained 1,100 ministers, spreading them in churches across England with a zeal for Christ. By the end of his life, they still said he had a bit of an edge and, and he, had a, he had a bit of a personality, but he had softened and he had grown humble. In other words, we don't have to have it all together. To, to overcome the fears and the challenges that we have to disciple one another. He's a classic example about this. And I know that many of you are thinking, well, you know, if I was like Paul, I could do it. Because Paul did do it, didn't he? I mean, Paul's a, Paul's a, 
He's amazing as a discipler. But I didn't read the rest of verse 29. He says, for this I toil, I struggle. And then look at the rest of the verse. I struggle with all the energy Christ powerfully works within me. In other words, the way we overcome our fear of discipleship and to begin to disciple is to recognize it has to be his power doing it. I don't want you nor the leadership of this church wants you to begin discipling in your own power. Paul is testifying to the fact that all of his work was done because it was Christ's power in him, working powerfully through him. Now here's, the, here's a key piece of information regarding the way this works in Christendom. It isn't that you sit and wait for power to come upon you and then you begin to move in discipling relationships as if somehow your battery will get fully charged, then you can go for it. It doesn't work that way. No, no, no. You begin to move in faith with fear and then his power comes upon you and you begin to disciple people. So if you fear, or feel like, I don't think I could ever disciple anybody, you can because it's his power that is powerfully at work within you. And this is why we walk by faith as Christians. Do I feel up for what I do? No. God, you have to give me your power to do this. That's the language of the faithful servant. Yes, I'm going to ask this person to read the Bible with me. I don't feel adequate, but I want your power to be made perfect in my weakness, and so I'm going to do it. And that's what it means to walk by faith, to be a discipler. So Paul's laid out for us what a disciple is. A disciple is one who helps others know Jesus and obey him better. A disciple faces challenges, but his power is at work within us. Okay, the last thing, and this is the, this is the cream here, if you will. He says so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. This is the consummation. This is the goal. This is the target that we might present everyone. Do you notice in verse 28, he says everyone three times? This isn't for some of you to reach that final point. It's for all of us. We're all going to reach that final point of being made mature. And it's going to be through the discipling relationships we have here. God has designed you to be the ones that prepare you. That's it. And he's going to prepare us. And notice what Paul says, to present everyone mature in Christ. Mature isn't perfectionism. Mature is just taking people that are young in the faith, middle or in the faith, and you're moving them forward from glory to glory. That we're going to become more and more like Christ. That's what discipleship does. That's the goal. It's readying us to see God. I want to be ready to see God. That is one appointment you do not want to be unprepared for. You, you, you want to be ready and even joyful over it. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Now listen to the words, a little hard to understand. I'm going to try to, to make it more clear. He says, what is our hope and our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? So he's asking a question here. He says, when the Lord Jesus comes in all of his glorious presence, what is going to be our joy and our hope and our glory? What's it going to be? He says, is it not you? He says, indeed, you're... You are our glory and joy. You. So Paul the pastor is saying to the people, or the people could say to the people, what are we going to rejoice in? What's going to be our glory? What's going to be our hope? What's going to be our pleasure? When Jesus Christ comes in his glory, it's going to be us having intersected each other's lives with the gospel, preparing them, making them mature, that they're ready to see God. 
Can you imagine the day? Just envision it for a minute with me, if you will. I mean, imagine now all of us before God. We all will be one day. We're all before God. And our joy will be bound up in how we have sought to sacrificially serve one another, advancing one another towards a greater love for Christ. That is it. It's not some, I don't know what you may have thought it to be, but, but that's what it's going to be. Our, our joy will be in how we have served each other, sacrificed, taught each other, admonished one another, corrected each other. So, Jonathan Edwards, so he was a pastor in New England in the um, uh, 18th century, theologian, pastor. Many of you know his name. I did a biographical sermon on him a few years back. Great man brilliant man, um, he was removed from his church over a controversy with communion, that he wanted to only distribute communion to members. His grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, had a broader approach to communion, and so they removed him from, his, from that church. They removed him from the pulpit. And on the last sermon that he was there, he preached, I've shared this with you if you were in that sermon, he preached from First or uh, Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. You can Google it on the web. I, I would encourage you all to read it. It's a beautiful sermon. And um, but but here's the passage. The passage is: I hope that as you have understood us, Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, who were kind of distancing themselves from him, he says, "I hope that as you've understood us in part, you'll come to understand fully that you can boast of us, just as we will boast of you." In the day of the Lord Jesus. So Paul here is doing what Jonathan Edwards was doing. He's saying there's going to be a day, the day of the Lord Jesus, where we should be boasting in one another. Well, we should be boasting before God over the intersection that we've each had in each other's lives. This is why the solitary individual Christian is death nail to faith. Because we are part of God's design to ready one another to see him. That's the consummation. Th that's why we disciple. We, we engage with people on, on regular basis, opening our lives up, modeling, sacrificing, so that it might know him better. Okay, so that's the sermon. It, it, simple three points. What is a disciple? Helping others follow Jesus. Helping others love him. Helping others know him. We're going to encounter difficulties and hardships, but his power is at work within us, and our goal is right there. It is for that day when we're all of us, Christ, we're all together before him, we're rejoicing over the work that God has done in and through us, preparing us for glory. Okay, so let me, let me just put three things before you. Number one, I would ask you to consider to make every effort that you will, in fact, walk in obedience to this. Uh, that you will think, who can I ask to speak to me about life? Even if it's just getting together for coffee and just reading a chapter together. Uh, all the elders are doing this. All the staff are doing this. I'm doing this. Meeting with multiple men just, just for one hour. It's, it's very easy to do. It's very rewarding. Who can I meet with? Leverage relationships if you need to within your care groups if you already have them. And, and those of you, I know that there's some different souls that periodically say, I just don't feel connected here. And, and I, I'm sympathetic to that. I mean, I know for some people it's harder to be connected. Maybe you're newer here. This is a great way to be connected. And, and I would ask you, if you don't feel connected, please speak to an elder, speak to me. I want to ask the question, how can we help get people better connected? Because we're not trying to leave people unconnected. And so maybe we're trying to include different corporate events. We have this fellowship 
are these dinners coming up next weekend that are going to be, I think, a blast. And, uh, and we've got other things planned at a corporate level. But discipleship is really the best way to be connected. So, so I would ask you to consider that. And, and then secondly, I would ask you uh, to labor for the progress and joy of the faith of another person. That you would labor. This is kind of my pastoral. If I had a verse to share, you know, what's your life verse and all that. I've had a bunch of them over my life. But this is the one I love. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what should I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That's, that's my heartbeat, is that I want to remain with you for the progress, not just that your faith would grow, but that your joy in Christ would grow. That, that's what gives me life. That's what gets me excited. Carol and I, Sunday's the best day of the week for us. We love Sunday, to be with you, so that your faith grows, you, prog- you move forward. And, and so you've got to labor for that, though. Ministry is wearying. It's wearying, but it's joy-producing. It's jo- especially when you see people overcome sin, you see people grow in a greater love for God, they begin to walk in greater obedience, you see, you see those who are younger than you begin to take the faith and walk in the faith. It's, it's great. Okay, so first, make every effort. You're going to pick a person, just one person. Don't pick ten, just pick one. A- and, then, and then move for the progress. Think, how can I move forward? How can I see their joy? and their faith progress. And, and then number three would be, please, with me, think on eternity. Think on eternity. You know, if we don't keep in mind the goal, we'll never get there. Now listen, we are people are easily distracted. So Pokemon Go, this is the latest, I know, I'm, I'm moving in pop culture now, so <laughs> get out of the way, because anything can happen. But, but Pokemon Go is the most downloaded app, and I was having coffee at John shopped the other day, and these kids are going like this. I think I saw someone in the church, actually. There was a Pokemon guy here, or whatever they are. If you need the details on this thing, get somebody below 35. But I I know enough to know that the Pokemon Go issue has been followed, or has been preceded by Beanie Babies and Cabbage Patch Kids and every other thing that we had to have. It's going to be followed by 10 other things. We are just drunk on electronics and stimulation. So, and, and, that, and that those things are fine in and of themselves, but they act as a, a great distractor from keeping you on thinking on the last things, on the important things. And so I would just ask you to be mindful. How do I think like a farmer over the soul of another? I mean, a farmer, everybody should have a garden. You you gotta you gotta prepare the soil. You gotta you gotta plant the seed. You gotta weed. You got you gotta wait. But you know there's a crop coming. Or the investor, you know the long term investor, the one that says, "Yeah, I'm only giving 100 bucks a month. Not a lot of money, but at five percent, compounded daily, over 40 years, about 176 thousand bucks. It's only 100 bucks a month. That's the way we need to think. That long term." We don't want report cards right now. We want them when we see them. So, so think about that. Th- this is, you know, we've tried in these five weeks really to move in a way uh, and to be instructive and encouraging and to be um, 
topically and practically centered enough so that you would feel like, yeah, I think I can do this. If there's any of you here that don't think you can or you need more input, you need more um, information, we'd love to give them to you. In fact, um, we got this book out on the table. It's called Discipling by Mark Dever out of Capitol Baptist Church. But grab one book and, and just read it. It's one of these, I call them little baby books, which I love. You know, they're, they're real small. The print's big. You can read this book in two hours. What I love about the book is it's very accessible, but it's not superficial. It, it's, it's imminently readable, but it's not, it's not something you'll get bored with. You're going to be impressed uh, by all that's contained in here. And, and so if you need more information, that will be out there. And I think Catherine's going to be manning the table, or womaning the table, I should say, or somebody will be out there. And, uh, and uh, so that's for you. So let's take a minute right now and just ask God for, for grace to bring conviction. Today I've wanted to admonish those of you who are idle, but I've wanted to help those of you who are weak. And I've wanted to strengthen those of you who are brokenhearted. And, and I've hoped that you've sensed a patience towards all. But, but let's pray for God to give us grace to move us forward that we might keep in mind this great goal of presenting so that on that day when you stand before him, you will boast over the work that God did through your efforts in the life of another person. And then an elder, Larry's going to close us in prayer.